Here's a Lotus Skin Anderson's podcast, and it is the 8th of March 2021. The time is 22.30, and it is Monday. Now, I have just uh, signed papers that I'm going to be educated uh, as a blacksmith. Uh, so I start my education uh, the next month. Uh, I believe it's the 6th. Uh, April the 6th, 6th. So this is something that makes me very happy because the next four years I have secured a place to work. So this is a happy occasion. I do not know if the playing cards uh, makes it justice. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, uh, I'm very happy today because I have uh, secured my uh, workplace for the next four years. So now this is secured. Now, of course, I could also talk about the conditions of the world, uh, how we are in a uh, sort of like a dictatorship or tyranny, but I'm not going to do that because a lot of other uh, people are doing it. And I would highly suggest you listen to their podcast instead. So, my podcast is about working on yourself, working uh, on who you are as a human. And it can be a bit troublesome, it can be a bit hard, because when you point your finger inwards uh, and analyze yourself, you also many times find the mistakes that you have made in the past, the flaws in your personality. And a lot of people are not willing to put in the effort or do the work to better their personality in a more positive direction. But I believe that's the only way you're going to become a positive human being with a positive outlook on life. Because a lot of people tend to be negative, especially uh, during this uh, lockdown, this pandemic. I know we have in Denmark opened up the society a little bit, but not so much that it really matters. As I've been explaining, I do not think that we are going to receive our freedoms back again for the next eight or ten years. So freedom is, or what, or how do we define freedom? Well, freedom is also freedom of the mind. And being a free and open spirit can actually guide you in life in a more happy and positive way. This positive way does not come without a price, of course. You need to be willing to explore what you put through your eyes and ears and also be willing to let go of things that might uh, pull you in a different direction, might pull you down mood-wise. For example, violent video games, violent movies, movies who portray people's bad behaviors 
as something that you can allow yourself to be entertained by the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the rest of the crap, and also the mainstream media who constantly tells you what to fear and also constantly uh, tells you the solutions to uh, the problems with uh, your fear. Uh, These are the things that you need to stay clear of. You need to um, keep that to a minimum. Also, looking at other people's lives are not going to make you happy. Looking at how other people find happiness might not be the solution for you. It might be, of course, but I'm saying that perhaps you should look inwards for uh, your own happiness, your own peace of mind or state of mind, because we all want to be loved. We all want to be taken care of, meaning that not, not, of course, financially, but emotionally. We want people around us who truly love us and who truly want the best for us. And when we find these people, we make them our friends, of course, and of course they are going to disappoint us a little bit because we are not going to find perfect human beings. Uh, But nonetheless, we are not perfect either. So also forgiveness comes into the picture. We need to forgive, um, especially people close to us. There are mistakes in the past, because otherwise it's very difficult to remain friends if we do not forgive each other. So forgiveness is also a big part of my podcast. And you can say, well, do I have to forgive everything? another person has done to me, if that person has uh, cheated on me or otherwise done something very bad to me. I'm not saying that you have to forgive uh, that person's acts or deeds, but you have to forgive that person for being a human being with the mistakes and flaws of that human being. Because we also have flaws of our own. We seldom uh, look, uh, take a closer look at them. We seldom go deep inside ourselves and look and really analyze ourselves, really find out who we truly are as a human being, or come to the conclusion that perhaps other people's view of us is not the same as we view ourselves. And you see, that's the the problem with humans uh, in general, is that we lack lack self-criticism. Not not in the way I usually define it with, we have a self-critic voice inside ourselves who constantly tell us bad things about ourselves and others. Not like that. But we tend to ignore our inner voice that perhaps tells us that you hurt that person. You have to try to ask that person for forgiveness. If you ignore that inner voice, then I believe you harden yourself 
and you make it very difficult for other people to find you lovable and attractive. Because lovable and attractive qualities in humans, and we all have them, we can nourish them, we can treasure them, we can try to make them or grow them even bigger uh, as humans, but we can also ignore them. We can also belittle them or push them away. And by doing so, we perhaps allow ourselves to not become a, as attractive as a person as we truly want to be. Because if we search for love and kindness from other human beings, we need to show love and kindness towards human beings, towards other human beings, otherwise we are not going to receive it. So let's just change that to this one. So you see, the karma law exists, of course, that we, what we put out, we receive back again. So if we put out love and kindness towards ourselves, but also towards others, we tend to receive what we put out there. Let's say we are in a bad mood. Let's say that someone has hurt us deeply uh, and, and we feel these bad emotions enter our minds and we feel sad, we feel lonely, we feel betrayed, we feel angry. All these negative emotions come rushing through us, but it's how we cope and deal with them that matters. How, and how do we cope with them? Are we willing to look at these emotions objectively and say that, yes, I know I have these emotions and feelings right now, but perhaps through forgiveness, um, through a deep cleanse, cleansing of myself, of my mind, through meditation, I can go out to the other side having forgiven that person uh, the bad um, things that that person has done to us and truly forgiven that person. Because once we truly forgive a person, we forget about the bad emotions also. Because it, was, it, it would be uh, quite sad if we uh, kept on having these bad emotions because this person has treated us uh, treated us badly. Many people do. Many people hold grudges for many, many years and have these negative bad emotions inside. And you can clearly, when you meet a person who have had these bad experiences in the past and have not worked uh, their way through them, you can clearly feel that person is not in control over his or her emotions. And that person perhaps does not feel as uh, attractive, I'm not saying sexually, but uh, attractive as a person that you want to get to know. Perhaps it's a bit like, do uh, you know the magnets if you put the two together in the wrong direction, they pull away from each other. Perhaps you meet a person 
who have these bad emotions and has not been able to control them and deal with them and get through them in a constructive way, well, that person, you do not really feel that this is a person you truly want to be friends with, that you truly want to get to know. Of course, that's a <clears throat> very simplistic way to say it. But you hope that person gets through these bad emotions in a more constructive way and also forgive that person's, or maybe even these persons in the past who have done them wrong. Because humans' emotions can be very difficult to deal with. It can be so that we perhaps have said something that we regretted, but we overthink it. We think that, well, perhaps this person has thought about what I said in this way, and now that person feels hurt, uh, and we can overthink that for, for many, many days. And then finally we come to the realization that we have to ask that person if that person felt hurt and if that um, person can forgive us. Because that's the only way you truly know how another person feels, how another person thinks, is to ask that person. And then that person has an opportunity to say to you, yes, I felt very hurt when you uh, said those things, or perhaps even, no, I have totally forgotten about it. I have not thought about it for, for many weeks now. I do not know what you are talking about. So you see, we can also go through life with a lot of thoughts that perhaps does not co correspond with reality. And that's also a bit sad when we go through life with a lot of thoughts uh, that we do not express ourselves through our mouth, that we do not talk it out instead. Because perhaps we feel that if we talk to that person and we ask that person if we have hurt that person, well then we risk also uh, to be affected by it if that person has been hurt. And that feeling is not so pleasant, well. So we tend to perhaps stay clear of it. But then we have these thoughts in our minds constantly nagging us. That's our consciousness, of course. And you, we, you, you can, we can choose to ignore our conscious, but we can also choose to uh, take an opportunity to clean our consciousness. Because when we talk to that other person, we get it out there. And you can see, well, when you get that emotion out that you are feeling, or that thought that you are feeling, then all of a sudden there's an opportunity for another person to, to grasp that thought that you have had. And either it corresponds with what you thought, or it didn't. But that's the only way that you can uh, truly get a feeling about what that other person is uh, thinking, or if you have uh, truly hurt that person, or 
if you have not heard that person. So, so it's very important for me, of course, to work on myself and to work on not hurting other people, but also being aware of the fact that I, as an imperfect human, might hurt another person, um, not, but not knowing it, not being aware of it, because I'm a man, and men tends to oversimplify things and not think very carefully about how uh, what they are saying might be perceived by another person, especially when we talk about the female uh, aspect of it, of course. So this was the first 16 minutes, and I've not talked about the conditions of the world. Yes, of course, I'm sorry, I have to say that I have done this uh, in the Danish podcast for not many years, but for a lot of years. And it has not made me happy when I talk about society and what is bad in society. So I I need to have an, or take an effort to not talk about it because it's not going to allow myself to become uh, or be in a better mood. On the contrary, I'm going to allow myself to become or be drawn into a more sad mood where I have these all uh, where I have all these uh, bad emotions that I've been talking about. So we also have to recognize uh, the fact that we get affected by what we put through our eyes and ears more greatly so than we could ever imagine. And I believe that that's what affects our emotions because I can only uh, talk from experience, if I uh, go out on Facebook, and I regret it uh, almost every time I do that, there's always something that I can be upset about, that I be, can be sad about, uh, that I can feel enraged about. But then I leave Facebook again, and I have these uh, bad emotions still uh, lurking inside me. And that's because Facebook is only made for you to be angry because they know that if a person is angry, then that person is more engaged in or enraged even uh, into the matrix of Facebook. So it's not going to make you happy. The social media is not going to make you happy. You can write 500 million uh, SMSs or uh, messenger messages or anything else, but it's not going to make you happy. It's going to withdraw yourself from your fellow human beings. And that's a bit sad. That's because perhaps people have uh, hurt you in some way in the past and then you feel that it's more easy for you to hold a distance uh, to your human, to your fellow human beings through uh, this uh, spy uh, that is your cell phone, of course. Because it's not going to make you happy at all, this cell phone. It's only made for you 
to be surveilled, to be looked upon as prey, looked upon as uh, a person who can be taken advantage of. Because if you talk to another person and you talk about dog food or cat food or anything else like that, well then, advertisers notice through the, ni- through, through the microphones in your camera or in your phone, so you are surveilled constantly. Everything is locked down. Everything is uh, recorded. So you do not have really any privacy left. Your uh, search for pornography on the internet is also locked, uh, either though, even though you think it is not. Even though you have routers or spy routers or what you can call them, everything is locked. And I've been explaining this for many years in my other podcasts, so I will I suggest you uh, visit them or re- revisit them instead. Because this podcast, I have finally come to the realization that it needs to be love and kindness. It needs to be uplifting. It's because uplifting human beings tend to uplift others. And once other people are uplifted, they do not feel these bad emotions anymore. They feel happy and content with life. They get a new outlook on life. Because this book that I have been reading is not a pleasant read, these last couple of podcasts, because it is mainly talking about what has happened uh, in a in a person's uh, life, especially during uh, uh, childhood. And of course, bad parenting especially. Parents could be neglected, it could be abusive, it could be, you could have ignoring parents, parents who ignored you and didn't give you the time of day, or uh, smothering parents you could also experience and these emotions that your parents has brought upon you you can carry them along through your adolescence and not knowing it really is not going to solve the problem but that's uh, what I'm saying is that when I read this book out, out loud you can get a sense or a feeling that perhaps it is too close to home. That you also feel that, yeah, perhaps I have had parents who have done this or this or this to me, and that's why I feel that I push people away today or something other like that. You feel isolated or you isolate yourself from society. Well, perhaps it's something to do with childhood. And of course, I am highly suggesting everyone who have had these very bad experiences uh, in childhood to uh, seek professional help. Seek a psychiatrist. You can talk uh, to a professional about, about this because that's the only way you're going to truly have an opportunity to work through this, 
through your traumas through your childhood. I'm not saying that everyone has these traumas. Uh, luckily, I believe that it is a minority of people around the world who have had these uh, who have had these uh, parents who have neglected them in some way, some form or way. So, without further ado, <clears throat> because I have been talking, and of course, again, you have to excuse my bad English and my slow speaking uh, ability, because it's not so easy to uh, think in Danish and then translate it and speak in English. So, of course, you have to excuse my poor English. And also, But you can also just uh, push the button and you can have me uh, speak like Roger Rabbit instead. And then the podcast is only going to last you a half an hour. But without further ado, let's just let's just uh, try and read out loud from this book. And of course, I have warned you that perhaps there is something that in this book that perhaps... Uh, gets a little bit too close uh, for comfort. So you have been warned. And of course, uh, the book is called uh, Healing Your Emotional Self, a powerful program to help raise your self-esteem, quiet your inner critic and overcome your shame. And this is from the pdfdrive.com and you can download it for free for yourself. Let's just see here. We have come to uh, examples of negative core beliefs. Let's just change the scenes here. Uh, let's just see here. Yeah, really does not matter where we go. <laughs> so, examples of negative core beliefs. Negative beliefs and negative thoughts uh, or thought patterns can continue to affect your identity and self-concept unless you consciously work on changing them. In chapter 2, I listed the common beliefs created by the seven types of emotionally abusive parents. Following are some other common examples of thought patterns that people who were deprived and or abused have. The, underly the underlying belief that support these thought patterns are in italic. Make a note of any of the negative beliefs that you relate to. Number one. I can never trust that anyone... Sorry. I can never trust that anything good will last. It will either end or go away. People are not trustworthy, and neither is life. Both will disappoint you and let you down. Number two. I have no control over my life or what happens to me. I just have to accept whatever happens and try to make the best of it. What I said or did never stopped my parents or other caregivers from abusing me. Nothing I say or do matters or make a difference, so why bother? Number three. I am helpless to effect change in my life. I was a victim in my childhood and will always be a victim. Number four. I am to blame for the pain I feel and for my problems. 
if I had not done things to make my parents angry or done things wrong, I wouldn't have been punished. Number five. The only time I feel good about myself is when I am giving to other people or helping other people. The only value I have is what I can do for others. Number six. I cannot be assertive because then other people will not like me. If I speak up about what I need, other people will think I am selfish. Number seven. I should never tell anyone when I feel hurt, disappointed or angry because I will make the other person feel hurt or angry. I am responsible for other people's feelings. Number eight. I should never talk about what goes on in my family because I am being disloyal. Secrets are to be kept and never talked about, even with other family members. Number nine. I can't trust my perceptions. My parents always told me that what I thought or believed was wrong. Core beliefs about yourself are the foundations of your self-esteem. To a large degree, they dictate what you can and cannot do. In other words, they form the basis of the rules you live your life by. Generally speaking, negative core beliefs dictate what you can't do. For example, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't ever bother to get a job or get that job No one is going to want to hire me because I'm not a good communicator. On the other hand, positive core beliefs encourages you by affirming your abilities, as in, I know I can pass this course, I'm smart and I'm capable of learning even difficult concepts if I put my mind to it. Negative parental messages also set up or set us up to have unreasonable expectations of ourselves and others. In my case, I desperately wanted the approval of others, especially my mother. I came to believe that if I was exceptionally good, I would finally get that approval. This led me to have unreasonable expectations of myself in terms of how hard I worked at being a good person and at achieving success. Now we come to exercise your core belief. Number one, think about the way your parents treated you as a child. Based on this treatment, what false beliefs and unreasonable expectations of yourself and life do you think you developed? Completing the following sentence will help you sit or see clearer. When my father ignored, uh, sorry, When my father, an insert word here, ignored me, criticized me, it led me to believe that I, intense, sorry, put sentences here, am unimportant, am incompetent. Number two, continue to complete this sentence until you have no more re responses. When my father, it led me to believe that I, Number three, now complete the following sentence. Once again, continue until you have no more responses. When my mother expect too much of me, 
It led me to expect too much of myself. Number four, make a list of the beliefs you developed due to your parents' treatment of you when you were growing up, using your answers from the sentence complexion exercise and the preading examples of negative beliefs. Number five, make a separate list of the unreasonable expectations you have based on the way your parents treated you and your early childhood experiences. Identifying these false beliefs and unreasonable expectations is the first step to exorcising, ex, sorry, excoursing them from your mind. If you are still uncertain as to what your false beliefs and unreasonable expectations are, the assignment at the end of the chapter will help. It may seem to us that our negative beliefs and unreasonable expectations of ourselves and about life are permanently installed in our brain and that changing our mind about these negative beliefs is near to impossible. But the truth is that it is possible to change even the most negative, unhealthy and destructive beliefs. In the next two chapters, you will be offered more exercises and activities that will help you in this process. Changing your core belief can take a great deal of time and effort, but it is definitely worth it. By doing so, you will be able to alter your view of yourself and the world in a significant way. Earlier I wrote about how having emotionally abusive parents is like looking at yourself in a funhouse mirror, causing you to see yourself in a distorted way. Getting rid of negative core beliefs about yourself is like replacing the funhouse mirror with a, with a non-distorting one. Instead of seeing yourself as a tiny monster, you see yourself as normal-sized and proportionate. Psychological Truth of the Week <laughs> Problems with low self-esteem and poor body image are often caused by negative parental messages communicated through emotional abusive, neglect or smothering. The only real alternative to self-judgment is knowing the truth about who you are. If you have a deep belief that you are worthless, you must discover where that belief came from and why you believe in it is to be true. Mirror Therapy Assignment Your Self-Talk Diary This week begins to keep a self-talk diary or journal in which you record your self-statements or inner dial or inner monologue whenever you feel angry, sad, depressed, guilty and so on. It will no doubt be difficult at first to catch yourself in the act of thinking negative thoughts because they often uh, are so ingrained. It might help if you try to identify situations in which your self-esteem is is particularly low, such as when you feel incompetent, stupid or especially unattractive. Carrying your self-talk diary around with you will help you record your feelings and self-statements while they are fresh in your mind. Describe the situation. I went to a business mixer and no one approached me to talk. Your self-statement you are so fat, no one wants to talk to you, and how you are feeling because of the situation ugly. 
Here's what your self-talk diary page might look like. Date 25 of September. Situation. Boss didn't like me or like my report. Self-statement. I'm so stupid. I'm always messing up. Feeling incompetent. Situation. Wasn't able to get an erection. Self-statement. You're not even a man. Feeling inadequate. Situation. Locked keys in cars. Self-statement. What an idiot. You forgot your head if it wasn't attached to you. Feeling worthless. Number six. Emotionally separating from your parents. When I say I, I mean a thing absolutely unique, not to be confused with any other. <laughs> I was supposed I was supposed to become her if I had turned out according to plan. I was trained to repeat her life, daughter becoming wife, becoming mother. I carried her fear and limitations in weight around my waist and ankles. My body was molded first by her own body and then by the words she uh, wrapped around my feelings. One of the primary reasons adults who were neglected or emotionally abused as children continue to buy into their parents' negative beliefs is that they are still too emotionally tied to their parents and have not completed the individuation process. Individuation is the act of becoming a separate person from one's parents and one's family members. Those who have a history of neglect or abuse tend to remain in immersed with immersed with their family of origin out of the desperate desire to get what they did not get when they were children. But the sad truth is that most of us will never get from our parents what we missed out on in childhood. We need to accept that we have to grow up even if we don't feel emotionally equipped to do so. You may have worked hard to be different from your parents, and you may have been on your own for quite some time. But, it do- but this doesn't mean that you have become separate from them emotionally. This takes more than just getting older. It takes emotionally maturity and conscious effort on your part. In healthy families, emotional separation takes place naturally and gradually. It begins during the reformation phase referred to earlier, from two to four years of age, when a child first discovers she is a separate self from her parents. During this time, it is essential that a child have experiences that validate her ability to be separate without feeling abandoned. Even though a child has a mountain need to find her own place in the world, she still requires physical caretaking from her parents as well as needing to be loved by them. But sometimes parents and other caretakers have a difficult time allowing both independence and dependence. For example, Mary preferred to play alone and spend a lot of time in her room instead of sitting with the family at night and watching television. This hurt her mother's feelings, 
because her mother took it personally and felt rejected by Mary, as is often the case with smothering parents, she distanced herself from her daughter each time she went into her room at night. By doing this, Mary's mother sent her the message that it was not okay for her to have a separate self. Some parents only feel comfortable when their children are dependent or needy, and they may discourage any sign of independence in them. This is especially true of smothering or emotionally instigmented parents. For example, when a child is beginning to walk or to explore the world, a healthy parent will respond with appropriate support and encouragement, applauding each small success. An insecure or anxious parent, on the other hand, may respond by inhibiting her child's efforts and by ignoring or withdrawing from her child. Adolescence is another period of accelerated growth and a push for independence. During this typically turmoil time, most adolescents are extremely rebellious, insisting on doing things their own way and rejecting their parents' suggestions, values and sometimes rules. They are inexplicably angry with their parents, blaming them for anything and everything that goes wrong in their lives. This is actually healthy, since anger helps adolescents to separate from their parents and discover their own identities. Unfortunately, neglected or abused children often do not go through adolescence in a healthy way. They are often too afraid of their parents or too afraid of rejection to rebel against their parents' values. And they are often too caught up in trying to gain their parents' approval and love to work on developing a separate identity from them. Abusive parents often do not want their children to separate, or they lack the skills to help them separate in a healthy way. How do you go about emotionally separating from your parents and completing the individuation process if you have yet to do so? How do you replace your parents' distorted mirror with a more accurate one? Emotionally separating from them may include any or all of the following. Providing yourself with the encouragement and support you did not receive from your parents. Expressing the anger you have been that you have been afraid to express, acknowledging your unmet needs and facing the fact that the time of getting those needs met by your parents is over. It also includes grieving for all the pain, rejection, abandonment and betrayal you experienced at the hands of your parents or other caretakers. Individuation also involves resolving your relationship with your parents in a conscious way as opposed to constantly reenacting the relationship with others, naming your spouse or children. One of the ways that adults who were abused or neglected as children create a false sense of connection with their parents is by unconsciously repeating their lives. If they do what their parents did, they do not have to feel separate from them. It is as if they are living their parents' lives instead of their own. In this way, they never have to become separate people and take responsibility for their own lives. 
enmeshment or enmeshment. Let's just see how long time we have left. Enmeshment. Many survivors have a very difficult time acknowledging the abuse or neglect they suffered at the hands of their parents and an especially difficult time becoming angry with them. This is partly because they don't have to have to face the truth and come out of the denial. Sorry, this is partly because they don't want to have to face the truth and come out of denial but it is also because they are too immersed with their parents. Immersement is a term used in psychology to describe an unhealthy dependence on, other, uh, sorry, on another person. In order, to, in order for some people to admit what was done to them, they need to develop their own identity separate from their parents or other abusers. We remain immersed with our parents in the following ways. By continuing to stay in denial about how they treated us. By withholding our anger concerning their neglectful or abusive treatment. By completely taking on their values and beliefs without any analyst or questioning. By, repla- by replacing their behavior and becoming just like them. Sorry, by re- replicating their behavior and becoming just like them. By trying to be the exact opposite of them. By working hard to never anger them or otherwise risk their rejection. By deliberately doing things that will make them angry or create conflict with them. By not setting healthy limits and boundaries with them. The following information and suggestions will help you counter the way you have remained immersed. Declare your independence. You began to declare your independence when you started to face the truth about your parents and other family members and the negative role their behaviors has played in your life. When you began to give voice to this recognition by expressing your righteous anger, the emotional separation process accelerated. Standing up to your parents and saying no to them, perhaps for the first time, are other ways of declaring your independence from your parents and their way of doing things. This this action can be empowering and exhilarating. It allows you to see how difficult you are from the people you identified with as a child and how... Sorry, it allows you to see how different you are from the people you identified with as a child and how different you are from the mirror they projected onto you. Declaring your independence does not involve denying the emotional impact your parents have had on you. However, by denying your parents' role in shaping your personality, you risk denying a part of yourself. It is inevitable that you will take on many of our parents' characteristics. After all, their influences on you, both genetically and environmentally, is the most profound influence you will ever experience. Separation includes acknowledging how you are similar to your parents, as well as how you are different from them, or many of the traits that you are 
you have inherited from your parents are no doubt very positive. Some people spend most of their lives trying to desperately become different from one or both of their parents. Ironically, the ones who work hard to become different are actually just as emotionally tied to their parents as the ones who attempt to emulate them. Their focus on being different from their parents can actually prevent them from becoming themselves. By focusing too much energy on being different from your parents, you take away energy from discovering who you really are. Exercise the good and the bad. Number one, list all the ways you feel you are similar to your parents. Number two, list all the ways you feel you are different from your parents. Number three, write about how these two lists make you feel. I would disturbed uh, by how many similarities there are. Are you proud of the differences? Question your parents' values and beliefs. Do you not have to uh, sorry, you do not have to automatically take on your parents or your family's values and beliefs, especially especially if they continue to especially if they contribute to your neglecting or abusing yourself. In fact, you can be the first one in your family to question values and beliefs that until now has been taken for granted to be true. The following exercise will help you begin. Exercise your parents' beliefs slash your beliefs. Number one. Make a list of your parents' beliefs and values that you agree with. Number two, make a list of the beliefs and values you disagree with. Number three, consider which of your parents' beliefs and values are conductive to self-neglect or self-abuse. Number four, which of the values and beliefs from item three have you taken on as your own? Set healthy limits and boundaries. If you have continued to be controlled or manipulated by your parents, or if you have remained too dependent on them, you will need to set boundaries and limits in order to individuate from them. It can be painful to see your parents' pain and disappointment when you begin to tell them, no, no, you aren't going to do as they suggest, no, you aren't coming over now. No, you aren't going to become what they wanted you to become. You may be afraid, they will say, in that case, to hell with you, in response to your show of autonomy. Your parents may, in fact, initially become quite angry when you first begin to set limits and boundaries with them. They may even become insulting, bitter or threatening, threatening when you stand up to them and tell them you are going to run your life your way. But do not allow these reactions to throw you off your course. Complete your unfinished business. Completing your unfinished business with your parents or other abusers can include any or all of the following. Expressing and getting past your anger confronting your abusers, resolving your relationship and forgiveness. 
getting past your anger. Resentment is the most frequent kind of unfinished business. Although it is natural and normal for you to feel resentment, which translates to into anger towards your parents, you will need to get past your anger if you are too emotionally separate from them. When we, when we remain angry with someone, we stay emotionally tied to them in a very negative way. We continue to feel victimized by them, investing a tremendous amount of energy in blaming them. While anger is a natural, healthy emotion, when ventilated properly, blame is a wasted and negative expression or experience. The difference between anger and blame is that blaming keeps you caught up in a problem, while releasing your anger constructively allows you to work through the problem. If you have not successfully worked through your anger towards your abusers, refer back to the exercise given earlier in Chapter 5 on constructively identifying and releasing your anger. Confrontation Confronting your parents or other abusers has many benefits. It can help you emotionally disconnect from people with whom you continue to have an unhealthy emotional connection and help you resolve or bring closure to the relationship that plagues you most with your parents, siblings or other abusers. Confronting the ones who hurt you enables you to take back your power proving to yourself that you are no longer going to allow anyone to frighten, control or mistreat you. It provides an opportunity to set the record straight, to communicate what you need from now on. It gives the other person another chance to make amends and to treat you better now. A confrontation is a way of declaring the truth of standing up to those who have hurt you and telling them how they hurt you and how you feel about them. It is not an attack and it is not meant to annihilate them. It is also not an argument. Its purpose is not to change the other person or to force someone to admit that she was wrong in the way she treated you. Confronting is different from releasing your anger. Although your confrontation may include expressing your anger along with your other feelings, it is generally important that you have released a great deal of your anger in constructive ways before you confront, because you will be better able to communicate your feelings in a strong, clear, self-assumed manner. You will also be less likely to explode or lose control. It is strongly recommended that you write an anger letter before you do your confrontation. From this letter, you can glean the material for your confrontation. Practice your confrontation by writing it down, speaking into a tape recorder, or just talking out loud. You can practice with a friend or a therapist. Use the following format as a guide. You may then pick and choose which point you wish to include in your actual confrontation. Number 1. List the neglectful or abusive behaviors this person inflicted upon you. Number two, explain how you feel as a result of these behaviors. Number three, list the effects these behaviors had on you, both as a child and as an adult, and how your life has been affected. Number four, list everything you wanted from this person at that time. Number five, List what you want from the person now.
There are several ways to conduct your confrontation, face-to-face, by telephone, or by letter or email. Face-to-face confrontations are the most adventurous, but sometimes not possible due to distance or because you are not prepared to see someone in person. Choose the method that suits your needs and trust that whatever one you choose will work out. Before you choose to actually confront someone in person, consider the, consider the following. Number one, decide whether you would like to have someone come with you for support. If you are a person, if you are apprehensive about violence or loss of control, you may need to have a third party present, even if it's it is your if it's your own rage or loss of control that you fear. Number two, set some ground rules of the confrontation and determine how you will express these to your parents. Here are some examples. I want you to hear me out before you respond. I don't want you to interrupt me or stop me until I am finished. I don't want you to defend, justify or rationalize. Just listen. You'll get your chance to respond later. Number three. If, uh, even if this person uh, does agree to your ground rules, be prepared for any of the following, both during and after your confrontation. Denial. I don't remember. That never happened. You're in- exaggerating. Sorry, exaggerating. You're lying. Blame. You were such a demanding child. I had to do something to control you. You wanted it. You came on to me. Why didn't you tell me? Rationalization. I did the best I could. Things were really tough. I tried to stop drinking, but I couldn't. I was afraid to leave your father. How were we going to make it? Self-pity. I have enough problems without this. You just don't understand how hard it was for me. I'm too old or sick to take this. Guilt. This is what we get after all we did for you. Nothing was ever enough for you. How could you do this to me? Number four. Make sure you have supportive people to talk to before and after the confrontation. Number five, be prepared to end the confrontation whenever you feel it is no longer effective, beneficial or safe. If you feel threatened or fear you are losing control, if your parents is too busy defending himself to really hear you, or if the confrontation has turned into a shouting match. Don't set yourself up with the false hope that your parents or other family members will suddenly see the errors of her ways and apologize profoundly. In fact, you can expect her to deny, claim to have forgotten, project the blame back onto you or get very angry. Give the person time to think about what you had said. Don't assume that just because she didn't apologize on the spot, she didn't take what you said seriously and might not apologize in some way later on. Sorry, and might not apologize in some way later on. 
No matter how the confrontation turns out, consider it successful simply because you had the courage to do it. This confrontation symbolizes the beginning to a change in the balance of power in your relationship and is a significant act of individuation on your part. Now we come to resolve your relationship with your parents and other abusers. But this is for a different podcast because now I think, yeah, we have reached our... Sorry about that. And of course, uh, I would say that, uh, yeah, it's not, as you can hear, it's not a pleasant book. It is not a self-help book as I have usually read, read out loud. It's not a loving and caring and kindness book. It is a confronting book. It's confronting who you are as a human being, but also perhaps the neglect that you have experienced from your childhood and how you can confront your parents or other people who have hurt you in your life. But of course, a lot of people, including myself, perhaps hold back on this a little bit. Because confronting another person, we think, well, we cannot hurt that other person. We cannot have this person have ill feelings about us. So we tend to stop confronting other people about what they have done to us in the past. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, uh, but I'm saying that perhaps these bad feelings towards another person might be resolved if you confront that person with the wrongdoing that that person has done. So it's up to you. And of course, it's also up to me to confront people who have treated me badly. But also, if I have treated other people badly, that if they confront me, I also need to be open to critique, uh, to criticism on my own part and be willing to change the way I look at myself and be willing to change myself in a more positive, constructive way. So I hope this podcast was helpful for you. I know it was not the most pleasant podcast in the world. There was a lot of uh, things here in this book that perhaps it got a bit close to comfort. But we, is going, we are going to get through this book. I hope that it wasn't so unpleasant. But I also hope that you could use something from my podcast, that there was a thought, an emotion, a story that perhaps also confronted you, that you also had something that you perhaps could work on. Because I know that when I read these uh, pages out loud, I know that I, for once, has something to work on. And of course, I need to work on these uh, things in my own life. So I hope that the podcast was helpful for you. I hope, of course, I usually uh, try to 
to get the podcast over to another more positive aspects of life, being a loving and caring and kind human being towards yourself and towards others, meditating on love and caring and kindness, turning your volume down on your inner critic, that inner voice inside your head that perhaps is not so pleasant to listen to. But turning the volume down also means turning the volume up on a more positive inner dialogue with yourself. Because you are a loving and caring and kind human being. Deep inside yourself, you have what it takes to love and take care of yourself. To truly love and take care of yourself means also showing love and care and kindness towards your fellow human beings. So, this is Kenneth Anderson signing off. It's the 8th of March 2021. The time is 23.35 and it is Monday. Bye.